Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. Saturday down south, I'm with Eric Foss at GatorCountry.com. It's Sunday night when we record, so Florida more or less has a, a pretty quick turnaround play a team that's going to be in the top seven or eight in the country when they when they get to Gainesville. We'll get to Tennessee in a little bit. Uh, I thought a disappointing road loss for the Gators, and I know a lot of our uh, listeners were disappointed to see Florida fall at, at Mississippi State uh, Saturday afternoon. Yeah, it's always a weird one when you've got a game like that one, because on one hand, you kind of think, uh, did the Gators really do anything well enough, to, well enough to win? Like, were they good enough offensively to say that they deserve to win the game? Uh, probably not. Were they good enough defensively to say that you or to say that they deserve to win the game? Probably not. Um, yet there they were hanging in punch for punch for most of the game, never really allowing Mississippi State to uh, to take a commanding lead um, up until right at the end. And then, of course, Florida has has the rally to give themselves a chance to tie. Uh, but it, it's kind of an interesting one to take away because uh, sometimes you lose a game where you're really good offensively and you're like, oh, well, you know, we were good enough on one side of the floor. Maybe we should have we should have won. Um, this was certainly not that kind of a game, but but Florida also also hung around. So uh, that was that was kind of the, the feel I had at the end. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more with that. And and here's what I'll add to that rather than just agreeing with you, which I know is terrible podcasting. Uh, I will add that there are like three moments in this game where I felt like Florida could have taken control of this basketball game, that they hung around enough to the point where there were these moments where you felt like there was momentum. I thought – and I'll tell you what I thought the three were, and then I'm interested in in kind of your take on my take, um, which is a different way that we've ever discussed a game before. But because we have an avalanche of listener questions, we're going to do it this way. Um, so I thought the first half started okay. Like Florida's offense was pretty good. They didn't make shots, but they were running good stuff. Their defense got some stops. Um, Florida committed some kind of sketchy fouls that kind of kept Miss State in their offense early in that stretch. We can get into foul discipline at some point if you want, Eric. I don't think we have to, but, um, you know, and then Florida really goes stagnant at the end of the first half. So that's point point one, right? Florida's in and around the lead at about 20 to whatever, and then all of a sudden the Gators are down, you know, 26-22, 29, 24. So, you know, Miss State just kind of stretches it out and then Florida ties it, but ends up down three uh, at the half. So that was point one. Point two for me is Florida actually went through a stretch where they got a stop on only three of 14 possessions. That was the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. So if you're a big believer in Dean Smith's greatness, Dean Smith has this great quote, which is often attributed to other coaches. But Dean Smith used to say college basketball games are often won in the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. Uh, who closes strong, who adjusts and opens strong. That's an actual Dean Smith saying. Florida failed that miserably in this basketball game. Uh, and then third, down 48-43, Florida's getting a lot of stops. Florida makes a really bizarre substitution. Asa point. They take Castleton out of the game when he started to dictate things. And then Noah Log passes up a wide open three pointer for a runner in the lane, which he missed. And then Florida 
is depressed about taking a terrible shot. And as often happens when you take a terrible shot, I only say depressed because, you know, that's the only explanation for what happened in Florida's transition defense. Uh, Abdul Addo gets a, a dunk on the other end. 50-43, I thought probably, given how open Noah was, a five-point swing. And at that point, I felt like Florida is in deep trouble. Um, there was another moment later, Eric, and my rant will be over, I promise, where Florida again cut it to four, and man who shoots 43% from three-point range decided to turn down an early shot clock three that was wide open for no reason and ended up having to take a late shot clock contested one uh, on that possession. Miss State scored with Tolu Smith on the other end on the other side. So it really could have been four. But those are like the four moments where this game, to me, was lost. Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to look at anywhere other than the, the first four minutes of, uh, well, actually, first four minutes. Uh, I'm still thinking about that quote. Um, the first minute and 37 <laughs> seconds of the second half where uh, where Florida was uh, Florida was down 8-0 in, in that stretch. Um, to go down in a game where it just felt like, like it was, uh, one of the things that's so great about call, watching college basketball that's also like the worst part of college basketball, but also like the best part, is that it's so much tougher to score than in the NBA. And therefore, like every bucket in college basketball it's just like a sigh of relief versus in the nba it's just like so up and down uh, but then there's a game like this one where man it felt like every bucket was worth four or five points not two or three uh yeah. so for so for uh, for mississippi state to go out on an 8-0 run to start the second half uh where florida again like just kind of looked deflating uh or looked deflated I, I i it's hard to look at any point other than that as as i would say say the number one um i i guess at the uh the end there was some some tough stretches where uh, obviously it it allowed the lead to uh to balloon up to what it did i think it was uh, as as much as uh, as much as 10 or or 11 whatever it, whatever it was the biggest lead before florida came back uh but yeah i'd have to say those are those are the moments and it was pretty interesting to see just like uh, uh like you commented you know some of the uh, some of the lineups that were interesting like for uh for the last um, almost 6 minutes like 6 minutes and 19 seconds of the first half there was a lineup that had Colin Castleton at the 5 and then Samson Rushemsa at the 4 and then the three guards Trey Mannolock and Tyree Appleby um not a lineup we've seen we've seen a lot uh then they played for 6 minutes and 19 seconds straight which is a pretty long stretch for for any anyone Mike White likes to use. Um, of course, uh, they actually found a way to defend somewhat um, f- uh, considering the Gators were just, you know, hemorrhaging points on the inside. Somehow this quite small <laughs> lineup uh, it made it happen. And I'm thinking that's why they stuck with it. Uh, but yeah, at the same time, there was, there was points where, you know, like you said, in the first half, Florida, I thought played pretty good offense at times and just uh, was not able to convert. And, and, and any one of those moments for them to go on like a five or a six or seven or an eight point run could have really swung things. They just never had it. And um, there was one eight to zero run in the game. It belonged to Mississippi State, and ultimately, that was probably the biggest difference. Yeah, I mean, Florida. I think you're right. And Florida trailed by eleven twi- at two points in time. I mean, they chopped back into that lead on uh, at both points in time. And, and you know, I thought, you know, if this were a really young team that that we didn't have high expectations for, maybe we would be a, a little more sympathetic about that you know, on a, on a show, but I thought it just kind of, it was just par for the course that, uh, you know, when you think this team shows something, when you think, Oh, they they can play a physical basketball game against a, you know, a, a tough physical team like they did against Ole Miss. And then they come in and play 
Mississippi State and get out-rebounded by 21, right, and outscored in the paint. I don't know. Mississippi State had, uh, what was it, 54 points in the paint? I mean, that's ridiculous, right? Uh, <laughs> but but that's what they had. And, and to me, you know, that's discouraging, as is the fact that, you know, like you said, Eric, for all that went wrong, their defense was good enough to force a bunch of turnovers uh, with the small lineups, I think, kind of disrupting some passing lanes outside on the perimeter where most of those turnovers were. It wasn't a lot of entry passes. And then, uh, obviously, to, to hold a team that was shooting the three really well coming into the game to, to one three-pointer, although I guess Mississippi State didn't really have to take them. You know, and yet uh, <laughs> Florida shot 5 of 19 for three, which is their worst performance from outside on the season, too. Like, if they – just make a couple more of those threes. They, they, you know, maybe they win the game and it's, it's, uh, so I think it's, it's wholesale frustrating. Yeah. I mean, Florida really did get some breaks. I mean, Mississippi state goes one for eight from the three point line. Um, that's pretty crazy. That they only took eight and that they, they only hit one and Mississippi state is a team that doesn't take a lot of threes, but they have good three point shooting. So you think, right. Um, imagine if they hit one or two more threes only, uh, well that really changes the game. Well, they were 13 for 24 from the free throw line. Uh, could easily, they could have easily hit five or six or seven more. Uh, suddenly that's that, you know, stretches out. If they hit four more th- free throws and hit one more three, well, that's, that's something that re- could have really changed the game without the, you know, the actual flow of the game being much different. So, so Florida definitely, definitely had their opportunities. Uh, but, uh, but again, we're just, I feel like um, that what this really felt like was like maybe two years ago, uh, this Florida basketball team where I, I just felt like their margin for error was just so, so slim. Like it, it's, and, and back then it was because uh, it was because they couldn't score and they just, you know, had not established their ability to score. And it just felt like, man, if the other team goes on, on one run, uh, you just don't know if the Gators have enough to get back. And uh, that's, that's a little bit of what I felt uh, between, you know, against, against Mississippi state. Uh, whereas, you know, I think Florida scores the ball better than that Florida team a couple of years ago, uh, but they certainly don't defend as well. So yeah, just, uh, again, that's just, I, I would say that's the theme as I, as I look back on the game, it's just, man, it just looks like Florida right now. Their, their margin, their margin of error is just so slim and um, yeah, it just doesn't seem like they're, they're, they're going to be able to withstand too many, you know, eight Oh runs from, from other sec teams. Yeah, they're not, and it's and when they get good looks like they got in the first half, you know, when I thought they were running good offense, uh, their margin for error is small enough to where when Noah Locke misses three pretty open threes in the first half, you know, that's painful because percentages say he's not, you know, he's at least going to make one of those, right? Um, you know, maybe two of them sometimes, so – uh, you know, that kind of stuff is just – it's it's tough, and this Florida team right now can't overcome that. And the other thing I thought was interesting was I thought a lot of Florida's – this and this is a qu- kind of the coach's corner question that I had for you, Eric, was I thought a lot of Florida's better offense in this game was early shot clock offense, which isn't to say, hey, get out in transition, but it's to say, you know, hey, maybe – don't let a defense get settled into their half court, you know, defense all the time, even in your half court offense. If you can get the first good shot, take the first good shot. A little bit of the Nate Oates. I thought some of that was good for Florida. And I think Florida has to find that balance right now because they don't have, 
haven't quite figured out what their identity is without Keontae Johnson. Uh, you know, I, Scotty Lewis I, will be back, we assume. Um, but they're only playing like seven guys. So people that want to know why they've slowed down, I think some of it is numbers. Uh, but there are ways around that. And I think one of them would be to let guys attack earlier in the shot clock, Eric. Thoughts? Yeah, well, I mean, you look last uh, last season, Florida did not play fast, but one of their best offensive sets was when they ran a drag, you know, a, uh, like a drag ball screen for, you know, Kerry Blatcher coming, trailing the play, setting a quick ball screen for Andrew Nemhart. And again, it wasn't like race up the floor and do this. It was just let's do it while defenses are still identifying their checks and 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 finding where they need to be. And, and you might catch them stuck between who's helping and who's in the gaps and uh, that seems to work. So, I mean, again, we look at Florida once again, who went from um, 10 transition opportunities against Alabama to eight against Kentucky to now six against Mississippi State. Uh, so they had six six transition opportunities um, shots. They actually went really well for them when they did go against Mississippi State. They had 11 points on those six possessions. So uh, it did work for them when they, when they ran. But, uh, but yeah, I think, like you said, Neil, I mean, 39 minutes for Noah Locke, 37 for Trey Mann, 37 for Tyree Appleby, uh, 33 for, for Colin Castleton. Uh, that, that certainly plays a role, but, but once again, I mean, coach white in, in the, uh, in the post game, uh, he mentioned that he thought that, uh, that guys were supposed to be running more, but they decided not to run and instead were, were looking to the bench for a play call. Uh, so he he certainly insinuated that they should have been running more. Uh, whether or not you believe that, um, I suppose that's up to you. But uh, I, I do think it's worth mentioning that that's what, uh, that's what White said. No, I think it's very much worth mentioning and, and uh, interesting. Um, I mean, to me, Florida played, I think, I think they might've gotten to eight guys that played eight minutes or more. Um, but it was interesting. It was a, a career high in minutes for Resense. If I mean, we're talking about what, 10 games, but still 16 minutes uh, for Resense. Quez Glover played the longest stretch of basketball. He's played as a collegiate basketball player without shooting, which was interesting. Um, Cause to some extent, one of the reasons I think he's on this roster is to create and score points when he's out there. Like you just deal with the fact that he's going to take shots. Um, and then uh, Osayo Sifu uh, only played four minutes. They were all uh, not very productive in my opinion. And then you had eight minutes for Momar Payne who picked up his three fouls. And I thought, you know, guys, if you want to know, uh, well, I'll save that for listener questions. So Ford wasn't playing a lot of, uh, a lot of people. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And and again, I do, this goes back a little bit. I'm, I'm still thinking about what White said about how some players weren't running and were instead looking to the, to walk it up and get a play call. Uh, I, I mean, once again, I, 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 it makes you question the, the offensive identity. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if, if a team's ident- identity is, is we're going to play fast, we're going to run, you don't have your point guard looking to the bench and saying, you know, what what are we going to go set up in half court with? Or he and he's not going to have a fear of, oh, if I push the ball to try to get numbers and, and nothing is there, that my coach is going to be upset with me. You know, like that, th- those things just don't happen with a team whose identity is to play fast. So, so again, that, and I, I, I don't know if White would double down on, on those statements now and say like no it's still our identity to play fast i I have a feeling he might 
back off that. Um, and, and talking about, and that was another thing he did say in the post game was talking about how he needs to find this team's um, I, I, offensive identity. He also mentioned the defensive identity, and he also mentioned um, what's another thing that was interesting, a little bit off topic. That he's like, oh, maybe we should, you know, go all out playing playing zone, which I thought was a pretty interesting comment. Um, Florida's zone once again went went very poorly against Mississippi State, um, which has been the case all throughout the last couple of years. Florida just has not been a team comfortable playing zone. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I just thought that was uh, that was pretty interesting. And and um, uh, but going back to the initial, you know, what you're asking about or talking about about playing so few guys, uh, I, I I think that that. Um, it, it again, it makes a question of the identity because again, if you're if if you're going to play seven guys, of course injuries have, have forced that. Um, is your identity still to play fast? Well, if it's not, then you better you better figure out your next identity pretty quick. Uh, I, I did like that Florida looked pretty committed to the Princeton offense to start the game. I, yeah. I kind of anticipate that's what's going to continue to happen. Um, if that's the uh, but but again, they can still they can still try to push the ball and try to score. And if nothing is there back it out and, and, and try to and run the Princeton. I, I mean, you're not playing FIBA or NBA where you've got 24 seconds. You've got 30, which is, is plenty of time to push the ball, try something early. If it's not there, go go run some half-court offense. Yeah, I mean, I'd like, and I think we've talked on this show on uh, plenty of times about early sets too. Like, you don't have to just be in motion uh, out of those sets at all. You know, I think... There are teams, North Carolina, Gonzaga, that that have an early set that they get sprinting down the floor. So I think you can do all that. Um, obviously, uh, Florida didn't, and it was disappointing because Mississippi State, a team that wants to play deliberately, that's something that they're comfortable with. And I, Florida gets a couple early baskets in transition and just didn't uh, get back into it, which I thought was, was fairly disappointing. Um, should we, should we start listener questions or did you have other stuff to, uh, no, I think that was, uh, that was all. Let's, uh, let's get into some listener questions. All right. We're going to, we're going to start with a, uh, a coach, uh, who, you know, wanted to, to remain, uh, anonymous, but so I have an assistant college coach, uh, that, <laughs> that sent a quote listener question, uh, and they said, uh, Neil and Eric, help me understand the staff. The young Russian uh, had three consecutive DNPs. Now he's playing 15 minutes per game. Now Lane has two consecutive DNPs, but the team can't really defend. I, I promise this is not for me. What is going on <laughs> against Miss State? Florida had the Glover kid, Locke, and Appleby on the floor. Do some of these rotations make sense to you? They don't from where I'm sitting. <laughs> Well, uh, as someone who writes very often about my thoughts on Florida's rotations and the numbers, this is a Division One assistant coach, Eric. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. But I'll, I'll say the number one thing is if you if you see it if you see a team or a coach, sorry that I, I should say, that's still kind of throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks, it, it likely means you don't know what your identity is. Uh, if you're still trying to find out what uh, who fits where and what lineups work, uh, I, I just I still think it's a question of identity, which is kind of the the theme uh, the theme of the day here. But uh, but again, for for Rusensev to go from DNPs to uh, to playing 16 minutes, uh, that kind of that speaks to they're not totally sure how they want to utilize him. That speaks to not having when you don't have established rotations or, or lineups or, or roles for the players. Uh, that's that 
I, I again, I just, I just think that that that's a perfect example of of the lack of the lack of identity. And and again, even looking at someone like Niles Lane, who, uh, if if you know. If, if the coaching staff was still like a couple of years ago talking about their defensive identity and and defensive accountability, uh, it would be hard to imagine them keeping Niles Lane off the floor. Um, but uh, that's not the case now, and and now he's got a little bit of a, of an inconsistent role. And uh, yeah, that's a little bit of my read. But but Neil, I, I'm interested to what you say. Well, I mean, I think I think with Lane, a lot of it is probably confidence on the offensive end. Uh, you know, I think Mike is thinking that they can grind out or that they're improving enough defensively um, despite the absences and that right now he's more concerned about, especially with Scotty out, like those are the DMPs for Niles. So I think some of it is how do I generate buckets? And I think he's a little worried to put Niles on the floor because I don't think, I think Eric's comments in the, uh, the summer were right. Like, there appears to at least be with this staff some concerns about what Niles Lane brings on the offensive end right now. It doesn't mean that with his body and his size, he's always going to be that way on that end. But, uh, you know, I think that the Rosenta stuff is purely about trying to generate scoring. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say he gets recensive out there, and it's it's one maybe like I don't want to say a desperate play, but I mean the Gators are just just need to try to get some more length on the floor, um, just somehow. So you get what you do have recensive out there at six seven at at the, at the three. That's some length that you you very much need. Uh, but he's also shown that he can hit shots. So I I, I can certainly see, uh, yeah, I can I can certainly see the case for recensive being out there. I mean, I I said before the season I thought he was going to play more than than Lane, even though obviously it looks like um, the injuries and slash uh, health situation with Scotty Lewis um, means that uh, Rusensev might have the, the break to play a little bit more. But uh, yeah, and and I mean, it's also worth noting, I thought that Rusensev was not I, not noticeable on the defensive end, which I would say is a uh, an improvement for him. Uh, but yeah. Oh, there we go. Um, so that's a, that's a good way to kick this thing off, I think. Um, and we are going to go pretty much through listener questions from the bottom up after that. Um, and I think, you know, I think people will be, well, let's just say that there's a lot of anxiety out there. So hopefully we can heal some of it. Uh, Brian Rosen at Gatorfield 561 ask, shouldn't Castleton and Payne be out there together considering Florida's rebounding woes and how many easy buckets Florida gives up at the rim? Well, I don't think that Mike White likes to play two bigs at a time. Um, I tweeted out about this during the game, but uh, when they did just, you know, very briefly put out Omar Payne next to Colin Castleton, uh, just the fact that uh, I obviously talked about on this podcast lots last season and wrote about the fact that uh, Florida's best lineup for a couple of games where they were playing incredible basketball had Omar Payne next to Kerry Blackshear. Uh, it went awesome. They were great offensively. They were great defensively. And then they went off into the horizon, never to be seen of, from again. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think it was, uh, I think it was Graham Hall. 
um, our friend who uh, asked uh, at one press conference about about the fact that that lineup didn't play. Um, and and you know White said uh, he was a lot more comfortable with Keontae Johnson at the four. I I, I don't remember the exact quote, but it was essentially um, it was essentially they 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 liked playing smaller at the at the four. They hadn't spent a ton of time practicing before with uh, with the two bigs next to each other. And um, for what yeah, but for whatever reason, um, despite the fact that it was unquestionably Florida's best numbers by the uh, or best lineup by the numbers, despite the fact that when they w- played their best basketball, that was the lineup that played the most. Uh, they never played again, and I, I I think that that just again established that that uh, White is not particularly interested in playing two bigs on the floor at, at a time. And I would say that the way that Blackshear and Castleton, sorry, Blackshear and uh, Payne played so well to e- next to each other last season, um, it would suggest to me that maybe uh, maybe Castleton and and Payne can play really well together. So I would like to see it. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see it. I'd also like to see Omar not get three fouls in eight minutes, <laughs> and and make it very difficult to do. Um, but but I don't think that you know you're wrong about that, Eric. I just think you know that's an issue, and it gets to the first of two questions from Malik uh, Grady. Uh, we're always happy to answer at Malik G's stuff. Uh, Malik asks, should the lack of progression of Omar Payne and the choice to take Osaya Osifo so early in last year's cycle, September 29, 2019, be considered an indictment of UF big man coach and evaluator Al Pinkins? Oh, man, I, I love I love that Malik. Uh, I love Malik had the date. Malik's awesome. He's the best. Yeah. Uh, anyone who's on Twitter who doesn't follow him, he's you got to follow Malik. But uh, here's my understanding of the situation. Um, which could, which honestly could be incorrect, but this is my, this is my current present understanding of the situation. Um, PJ Hall wanted to come to Florida. He wasn't quite ready to commit, but he definitely wanted to come to Florida and Florida's coaching staff led primarily by Al Pinkins, their big man whisperer. He thought that Osayo Sifu was the better take and they took him. Uh, so my understanding is because of their evaluation, they thought that Osifo was a better take than Hall, and uh, and they took they took Osifo. Um, early returns are that is looking like a very bad decision. Um, so, so if that is the case, I would say that um, yeah, that's 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 got to be a little bit of an indictment. There's there's no question. It seems like a miss. Um, if that's not the case, and I am misinterpreting um, what what I've heard is incorrect, which very well could be the case. Uh, maybe not. But uh, that's kind of where I'm at, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you, Neil. Yeah, I mean, this is I've this is essentially the same story that that I've been told uh, about it. And you know, look, Al hasn't missed a lot. So uh, if you look at you know what he helped bring to Texas Tech, uh, especially, and it seems like it's been more good than bad. Um, you know, I think the lack of progression on Omar's part now is about fouling and. And and foul discipline, and that's been a problem for this Florida team all season. Uh, they were a little bit better about it at, against Ole Miss. They weren't very good about defending without fouling against Mississippi State. I mean, Miss State took 24 free throws, despite the fact that they were getting easy buckets at the basket. Um, and some of these free throws weren't like guys battling to make plays on Tolu Smith, although he shot 10 of them. I get it. But, you know, and Florida had fouls on, like, late help uh, and then the kind of stuff that like you should know who you're helping on. Like that's not very complicated. And uh, it, it, at least to me, maybe the defensive guy in me is coming out a little here, Eric, but, <laughs> but I mean, that's, there's no excuse for being 
late to help and like slapping a guy from behind and sending him to the foul line when there's people in front to protect the rim. Like those are bad fouls. Uh, and, you know, Omar Payne picked up one of those. So, so these aren't just like battle fouls. And I think if you get three and eight minutes, it's hard to keep you on the floor. Um, you know, but again, when you're playing a team that loves to play two bigs, it's curious as to why they're not going with that. At least a two big look, you know, Jason Jatobo, maybe play him more than two minutes. If, if he's a guy that you're going to keep on your roster. Uh, yeah, I mean, once again, it kind of goes into uh, what we talked about a couple episodes ago uh, regarding Florida's game plan going into games or, or scouting. And uh, again, do you, did you look at the scouting report? Did you look at the film and say, hey, we, we think we're in good shape here playing Anthony Deruji, um and and Osai Osifo or uh, Samson Rusensev at the four? Um Presumably they did because uh, they they that's what they did they they played those guys and apparently they didn't have any too big um, really ready they they obviously did play pay next to Castleton very very briefly um, but not for long stretches um, and I mean you could say that that's foul related but again if you're not really planning on playing him at the four often there it's not like you have much of a fear of 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 pain fouling out I mean he only ended up with three and if he's a backup center I mean playing. Eight- Eight minutes. I, I you you probably only thought you were going to get ten out of him, ten out of them anyways. So so yeah. I just I, I don't think that Florida went in with a big plan to play both of them, and um, I think they probably should have. Yeah, uh, I think that's it. Is certainly should have become clear in the game, which is an adjustment uh, point to me. Malik's other question: How far away is Florida from being in the same solar system as Gonzaga? What's the logical roadmap Ooh. to getting there? And and look. I wanted to answer this one first because uh, this is a really fascinating question, and I was going to save it to the later in the show, but I felt like you know what, let's just answer it earlier um, because it's it's an interesting way to look at the white era because Florida played two spectacular games with Gonzaga early in the white era, one at. a holiday tournament in Orlando. I think it was a Thanksgiving game. In fact, um, you know, a two or three point game, pretty much the whole way, a one possession game, almost the whole game. Uh, Gonzaga wins late. Um, and, you know, just spectacular basketball game. Florida with Johnny Bunu. Uh, Gonzaga goes to the final four. Florida goes to the elite eight. Uh, Obviously, there wasn't Ikbunu by the time Florida was there, but uh, you still get the point. Then a year later, uh, Florida plays what I think a couple publications said was the best basketball game of the season um, at the PK-80 against Gonzaga, and and Florida wins that game. Uh, And now Gonzaga, uh, you know, obviously that's not a great league. It's a better league than people think. It's not trash, but it's not a great league. Um, but it doesn't matter that it's not a great league because Gonzaga just outclasses everyone by miles, which is what great teams should do. And they look like one of the best teams we've seen in 20 years. And uh, Florida looks like, you know, they might be on the wrong side of the bubble in the NCAA tournament. Um, so, you know, how do you evaluate that? Obviously, Keontae Johnson, the SEC preseason player of the year, being gone is a factor. Uh, but but I think the answer to Malik's question is that, you know, 
I don't know how far Florida is from being in the same solar system as Gonzaga. Um, but I know that the logical roadmap for getting there, you know, either involves substantial progress by the staff that's in place, uh, or, you know, it involves something else. I mean, Gonzaga to to me is the the class of college basketball. Like they just make college they just make college basketball seem so easy. Like they Mark View makes it look easy. They lose guys to the NBA draft and they reload and then they stay good. Uh, what makes Gonzaga good, in my opinion, is they do not miss with bringing in good players. Whether it's recruiting high school players, whether in America, whether it's recruiting international players, whether it is transfers, uh, whether it is two and three star guys, whether it is five star guys, look up and down Gonzaga's rosters the last few years or the last <laughs> more than a few years, look at their rosters the last 15 years. And you just do not see misses. They, they bring a transfer and they fit their system. They bring in recruits. They fit the system. Uh, they just do not miss when it comes to player evaluations. They don't. It's, it's, it's truly incredible. Uh, so, I mean, one of the things is, is how far away for, is, is Florida from that? What is the roadmap to that? Um, it's tough to tough to say, hey, have better player evaluations than anyone in the country. But I will say this, man, go watch <laughs> Gonzaga in 2012 or 2013 or 2014 and then go watch them in 2019, 2020, 2021. Yeah, you see them run the same stuff. Uh, they 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 have a distinct style of play. And I one of the things that makes it so easy for them to not miss on player evaluations is they know exactly how they are going to play and they fit in players that they know will fit exact roles in that offense. If you don't know how you're going to play basketball, you don't know how to fill your roster. Uh, you, if you don't know if it's going to be a square hole or a circular hole, you might end up with a bunch of triangles. Like, I, I mean, if you don't, uh, that that is how I, I see Gonzaga continuing to get or continuing to be so good and staying good and continuing to not miss the player evaluations is because they know, Hey, this is how we're doing our continuity duck and ball screens. Uh, we need this big and this big, and we need these shooters to space the floor and they need, they need this guy to go off, off curls. Um, they need a point guard who can push it in transition. So they go get Andrew Nemhart. Uh, when you know exactly how you're going to play basketball, it's much easier to recruit. It's, it's much easier to get the right players when you know how you're going to play. So I, I would say while I, I don't know if anyone's going to catch Gonzaga, I, I would say the the biggest thing I could say if I had to say what is the roadmap to being like them is find a style that wins and 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 recruit to it, play to it, be committed to it. Yeah, no, I think that's all uh, that's all true. Uh, and that's kind of, you know, when I say substantial changes by – uh, the current staff, I mean, they have to get back to deciding, you know, what it is they want to be. And I get, I think that more than a lot of people in the fan base, Eric and I have been uh, understanding of, of the challenges of forging an identity in the middle of a pandemic after you lose your best player and you don't practice for two weeks and all you have to do is prepare for games. Like that's an extreme challenge. But they need to find it, uh, and you know, if you know, if one player was that essential to what your whole identity as a program is, that's also kind of problematic. Uh, the next question is from Ike Taylor, and Ike Taylor says seven million dollar buyout if they fire him at the end of the season, uh, five point two five 
when they actually fire him. What has he done to deserve that? Well, first of all, the numbers there aren't right. Um, so let's just make sure that we get the numbers right before we start talking about buyouts, people. Uh, and, and don't take this as us advocating for, uh, you know, like the immediate termination of Mike White. I'm sure plenty of you have your opinions about that. Uh, and we just did a whole show on it, Eric. Um, but the, uh, the, the deal runs through 2024, 2025, and it's $1.75 million um, per season. So if he were fired this year, that would give him – what three additional years on the deal, uh, which would be at 1.75 million, which would be the 5.25. It's not, uh, there's no, it's not like 7 million plus, I guess is the point. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, those numbers, it's, this is college basketball in, in 2021. Um, you've got to be aware of what coaches buyouts are. It just, it's the nature of the beast. Uh, it is crazy to see um, what, you know, that, that, that's not even that massive of a buyout in the world of college basketball these days. So it's crazy. I mean, I mean, you could, uh, you could certainly argue that the extension that Florida, the, the, the extension that Florida gave uh, to Mike White was maybe a little bit earlier than, than, it, than it could have been. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's what it is. And, uh, yeah, it, it certainly has to factor into any, any decision that they might have to, to move on. That's just uh, that's college basketball. That's the business. Yep. It's the business side of it. And remember there was no NCAA tournament money last year. So it complicates things for, for every program that wants to make a change, especially when they just extended a coach, uh, if they want to make a change. Uh, Cam the Man Fry, is this simply a case of a team that lost its best player in a traumatic fashion and therefore lost its way, or is it deeper than that? Great question. Uh, I think that people – so maybe Eric and I will – We, you know, I, sometimes when we disagree on things, it's it makes the show more interesting because we don't disagree a ton. I think when Keontae first collapsed and was in the hospital fighting for his life, there was a lot of solidarity among the fan base about like, oh, well, it doesn't really matter what happens this season from here on. We just want Keontae to get well. And if Florida finishes, that's fine. If they elect not to play, that's fine. And I think we've gone too far away from that and too far into – what the heck is the matter with this team and this program? And I think there's got to be some sort of middle ground. And that's, you know, is that a like a centrist type cop out? Maybe, but um, there has to be some understanding that like there are six power conferences in college basketball, and Florida just lost the preseason player of the year in one of them. Um, and the last two games they played without Scotty Lewis, who's probably at worst, the third best player on the team. Uh, you know, I guess at worst, he'd be fourth best, Eric. But still, <laughs> uh, you know, in my view, is the second or third best player on the team. Um, and so I think that it's a little bit of both, I guess, uh, because I do think that there are deeper systemic problems. And I think Eric and I have addressed them 
and we'll continue to use this podcast to address them. Yeah, I mean, I would say if Florida looked disinterested in playing basketball, then it might be a little bit more of, well, uh, they they lost their their friend and, and one of their leaders, and um, that's deeply affecting them uh, psychologically or whatever. But, I mean, man, this team does not lack for heart. Like, uh, they, they seem to play so hard. They seem to be yeah. um, connected. Um, another thing that Coach White did say in the, in the post game was that he didn't think that, this, uh, that they played very focused. So he did challenge their focus and said that he didn't think they were focused. Um, maybe that maybe that plays into the, the Keontae Johnson situation. Maybe they are lacking a bit of focus maybe, but, but again, I just, uh, to to me, my concern is, is really just with the, uh, with the way in which they're, they're losing ball games. I definitely do think if Scotty Lewis plays like to me, it's, it's big enough that, you know, for Florida to lose a game by, by three, I I think Scotty Lewis swings that truthfully. I, I I would, if I, you know, gun to my head, I'm had to say, does, does Florida win against Mississippi state with Scotty Lewis? I, I, I do. I do. I think they do. So, uh, so again, it's, it's certainly that, that plays a role, but to me, it's also, uh, yeah, it's also just the, the style that they're losing. And it, it, it is crazy to me, like, like two years ago or last year, even, or three years ago, four years ago, if, if Florida lost unquestionably their, their best player, um, and then their whatever, like you said, their second or third, or maybe fourth best player, um, you know, I would have looked up and down their roster and been like, whew, there is uh there's not a lot there, but Florida, even without Keontae Johnson and, and, and even without Scotty Lewis, I, I still look at a lot of the guys and I'm like, man, there's, there's, there's talent here. So, uh, uh yeah, I, I would say it does fall, fall somewhere in between, um, losing your, your best player really sucks and not many teams are, are equipped to handle that. Uh, but again, I still look at the guys Florida has and there's talent. Yeah. I mean, and some, and again, this staff flipped this roster. So when you flip a roster and, and build it as talented as they have, rebuild it, they should be able to win some of these games. I do think they win this game uh, against Mississippi State with Scotty Lewis too. Uh, you know, it's counterfactual. I think they were going to win the Florida State game. But, you know, who who the heck really knows about that? But now having watched Florida State quite a bit this season, I, I, I you know, I think it's not necessarily a hot take that they would have been able to maintain that and figured out a way to win that game finally. But none of that's what happened. Uh, so, you know, this is Florida's just facing uh, tough times right now and, and, and doesn't get any easier Tuesday. Uh, Jared Villamar at French Something asked, uh, I think they're way further down the forward depth chart than they expected to be, but uh, Osifa looked like a liability on both ends of the floor yesterday. Why would you play him at all now? instead of a big lineup with a second year in Jatobo. Ooh, uh, it's as, as much as, uh, I've not been a huge fan of Osifo. I don't know how much of a bigger fan I'd, I'd be of Jatobo. Uh, he, you know, I, he came in briefly and, and I, I don't really remember him making much of an impact, uh, would be certainly interesting for them to, to give him a bit more of a shot. But again, if you're putting Jatobo out there, do you, feel good about putting pay next to him do you feel good about playing him next to uh con castleton uh because yeah if you're if you're really trying to to get osifo out of there that's what you what you have to do so uh i, I would like to see them try two bigs whether that's just castleton and Payne or whether that's jatobo getting in there i would be certainly interested um i saw that they p- tried out uh samson Rusensev at the four for some stretches uh we'll we'll see how that goes uh but yeah um Osifo, I, I again, I don't, I don't know if you you think he's totally unplayable right now. 
Uh, but uh, but man, uh, one thing he certainly can't do is is take some of those uh, take some of those bad shots that he uh, that he took against Mississippi State. Yeah, he's just uh, you know I don't think Osifo's playable. I'm not sure how playable uh, Jatobo is just because he's not in shape. Um, I think he was in better shape last year. Now he's too slow. You know Isaiah Stokes was too slow, and and uh, Jatobo has all that going on. He does offer something offensively. Um, I think with his soft hands and just his ability to move bodies. Um, but Florida doesn't really play that way. So again, you know, if he wasn't going to slim down and stay slim down, uh, it's going to be hard for him to get on the court for the staff. And, and, you know, that's just a thing. Um, Matt Wolf uh, said uh, he responded to Malik's question about Gonzaga and says, uh, Gonzaga needs to win. And I think that's true. Like, I think that's a, a really good point. Um, you know, as fun as they make it, you know, where's the banner? Uh, kind of needs to be up uh, before we crown them, as they say. Uh, Matt asks, he does ask a question, though. He says, how can Florida be so poor at defending the rim while also leading the league in defending the rim? <laughs> hmm. why, are, why are they so lost on D too often? Uh, that's the first of his three-parter. Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, some of that stuff is like Castleton going to using his athleticism and length to negate stuff where help should be. Um, and like three, was it two or three? I, I don't know. It was two or three of his blocks ended up being like putbacks by misstate um, because he had to come across and then the space that he vacated like no one else filled. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm just. I think that was a great question for Matt. Uh, I think uh, I'm going to write about this tomorrow because I have something that uh, he brought up. Something that I was thinking about the other day, and I will now talk about it on this podcast and probably write about it tomorrow. Awesome. There is. Uh, there is definitely cognitive dissonance between Florida's offensive scheme and their defensive scheme. So, so, so here's what I mean. So something Florida has has done all through the Mike White era is they have um, their defense has been all about taking away three point attempts. Uh, they've been all about running people off the line, and they've done that quite well this year. They are thirty uh, first in the country at uh, three point uh, three point attempts against, which is great. That's that's really good defense. So the reason that they want to uh, the, the reason that they don't want to allow three point attempts is because we know that the the three point attempts are, are high value shots that bring a higher expected shot value. So limiting them makes a lot of sense defensively. However. You see on offense, once again, Florida is very behind the pack when it comes to three-point attempts. Last year, they were 200, um, and this year, they are 284th. So they don't take many three-point attempts. So where I think the dissonance is, is so Florida clearly knows that three-point attempts are very valuable, and that is why they are trying to take them away defensively. However, you would think because they recognize the value of them, they would then try to take a lot more offensively. So, so once again, I, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Just looking at the fact that it's like, huh, that's very interesting that, that Florida knows these shots are valuable yet, yet they don't take them. So I kind of feel the same way about, uh, about the way that they, uh, they, they settle for so many mid range shots themselves. Uh, their, their whole defense is um, they want to take away the three point shot and then they want to have a Kabarius Hayes or a Colin Castle and take away the rim. But, uh, but then they're, uh, 
uh, offensively, they they're taking the ex- exact shots that they're trying to take away from from their opponents. So that it, it's something that I thought was 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 pretty. You know, I was looking at the numbers. I was like, oh, that's that's pretty interesting that they they clearly understand the value of taking away three-point attempts, but they don't take many threes themselves. Uh, they clearly understand the value of holding their opponents to mid-range shots, but they love to take mid-range shots themselves. So I, I feel like there's some dissonance there, and I'm probably going to look into that a little bit more, but I, it is it is funny for, for Matt to point out some of those inconsistencies uh, because I'm, I'm feeling the same way. Yeah, it was great stuff. His second question, by the way. So his second and third question are kind of tied in. Um, we can handle the last one, unless you think I'm wrong. I think we can handle the last one very fast, which is why does Florida miss so many easy high percentage shots? Uh, I'm not sure that they do. I think that the biggest problem there is that their two best uh, finishers at the rim are Scotty Lewis and Keontae Johnson, and um, neither of them are playing right now. So it kind of seems like Florida's missing easy shots at the rim. Quest Glover is a pretty good finisher at the rim too, but he doesn't get there enough because they don't they don't attack in transition with him. Uh, you look, I you know I get there's Quest Glover is such an enigmatic player for me. We could do like a whole podcast on like I'm not sure what his role is, but it, it ought to be to score because he can, um, you know, and it's kind of. It's not Dante Allen at Kentucky, but it's a little bit of that because it's kind of like you brought this guy in and he was just this prolific scorer. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Sorry about that, Matt. That wasn't your question at all. And then his his other question was, why do they take so many bad shots? So if you disagree with me, go, go, go for it. I mean, the the fact of the matter about them taking bad shots and, and I'm, I'm going to say this and it's going to sound like, you know, I, I, huge slight and i don't really mean it that way i mean it maybe as a partial slight but the 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 fact of the matter is florida does not have a culture where taking good shots is important um maybe that's a little bit of of a harsh way to say it but whether it's you know look back look back at whether it was uh whether whether it's you know igor kulichov you know sprinting into off-balance threes whether it was Kayvon allen dribbling into off-balance threes or jalen hudson taking bad threes or the amount of floaters that they've taken over the last couple of years or uh, the amount of mid-range shots that omar or sorry that um uh, anthony druji is allowed to take or that uh that osayo sifo is allowed to take uh, like florida is just not a team that is going to say these are the shots you're allowed to take and these are the shots you're not so yeah. so that 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 is just not not what not how they feel they want to teach offense you could debate the uh, uh you can debate whether that's a good or good strategy or not i, I would say you know that the the pros of that would be hey you you look at your scores and say like hey we want you to score and be aggressive We're, we don't want you looking if you feel in the flow of the game that a particular shot is the best way to score um and you end up missing it uh we want you to believe that that you that you can score. We want you to be, yeah, that, that, that's the, that's the benefit of, of not having very strict, you know, quality of shot culture. Um, but of course the, the negative of that is you're going to have games where you just shoot a lot of floaters, shoot a lot of mid range shots and, and it's going to get you beat some games like it has for Florida. So, so I, I know what I would prefer. Um, I am someone who is definitely more on the side of you have 
a strict understanding of what are good shots and what are bad shots. Um, Florida has decided to go in a different direction. Um, yeah, you can, you can debate the merits of both. I, I would personally disagree with that, but if, if you you know, Matt's question is why do they take so many bad shots? I would just have to say, um, I would, I, their belief would be that they're, they're not bad shots, I suppose. And that's, or, or bet the better way to put it would be, um, sometimes you, you take a bad shot, um, but it, it, it empowers your players offensively. Um, a, a coach who's really like this is Mike Bray at, at Notre Dame. Um, I, 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 I know a guy who played for him a couple of years ago who told me this story and, and he had passed up two open shots and, and Bray called a timeout to just scream at him for not taking the shots. And he said, Hey, um, you know, the, the next time, uh, the next time you don't take the, the next time you don't take an open shot, uh, I'm pulling you out and you're not, you're not playing the rest of the game and you're not playing, you're not playing on Saturday. And he was kind of rattled. And then Bray starts talking about something else. And then he just throws down his clipboard. He looks at him again and says, he's like, you know what? If you don't go out there and shoot a bad shot on the next possession, I'm taking you out. And that was Bray's way of saying, like, hey, I want you to pray, play free. I want you to play play loose. Go out there and take a bad shot. I'd rather have you play loose than um, than, than overthink things. So so some coaches are wired that way. There, there's no question. Yeah, and it was two questions. It was, why do they take so many bad shots? And I, I commend you for making it all the way through your answer without mentioning 19-foot DeAndre Ballard two-pointers. <laughs> and um, <laughs> why do they miss so many high-percentage shots? So – I. Uh, you know, I I answered high percentage shots. I think some of that is is the absence of Keontae. A lot of it. You know, it's amazing how much easier things look when a Keontae is attacking closeouts and getting layups. But um, <laughs> whatever. William Norris uh, asks, how concerning is it that Florida loses road games to mediocre SEC teams on the regular? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's obviously concerning. Early in the white era in particular, I thought Florida was uh, one of the better road basketball teams, if not the best in the league uh, from a win percentage standpoint, his first three seasons, I think. Um, and, um, you know, yeah, I mean, losses like this this sting. Uh, obviously a little shorthanded, but I, I think to Eric's point earlier, um, shorthanded or no, like Florida just didn't fundamentally play well enough to win. Um, and that that's concerning because when that happens, uh, you will lose to mediocre teams on the road. Neil, here's a question for you. And I want you to think about it seriously or, you know, for like a couple of seconds. Uh, who is a more talented team? Florida right now. So that is without Keontae Johnson and without Scotty Lewis, I'll say. So, so the, the team that went out against Mississippi State, who is more talented between them and 2019 Florida with freshman Andrew Nemhart, um, freshman Noah Locke, freshman Keontae Johnson, um, senior Kayvon Allen, senior Kavarius Hayes. So again, that was that was those freshman players. Um, and then you coming off the bench would be uh, senior senior Jalen Hudson. And I don't even know who you'd call the uh, the seventh guy off the bench. It would either be Michael Caru or Dante Hassan. <laughs> but but who who would you say is is more talented between between that team and, and Florida's current team? Just pure talent, this this team. So I mean that 2019 team, which I would say probably over overachieved um, a little bit, which is definitely credit to them and credit to Florida's coaching staff. Uh, but I mean that was a year where Florida had six teams, or sorry, the SEC had six teams in the top 25 of Ken Palm. That was a very strong year for the SEC, and Florida was nine and nine. So I look at this. So again, I, I look at this team with. Uh, I look at this Florida team, even like, let's say, I don't even want to 
speak this into the universe, but let's say that Scotty Lewis didn't even come back for for whatever reason. We we he's coming he's coming back. We know this, but but even yeah. the team that went out against Mississippi State, that's that's more talented than Florida's team. That and listeners, you can I'd love to you can tweet the show or just, you know, think about it rhetorically who you think is more talented between that team that started three freshmen and Kavarius Hayes and, and, and Kayvon Allen and brought the shadow of Jalen Hudson and Dante Bassett off the bench. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, like you said, Neil, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you. I, I think this team is, is it would be clearly more talented. That team was nine and nine in a very, very good sec right now. It is trending that Florida is not going to be nine and nine in an sec that is clearly worse. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where my concern is. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I, you know, I don't know if Florida has – I'm trying to decide if Florida's hit the meat of the schedule. They kind of – there's not really a meat this year. Um, you know, I, look, normally LSU – in fact, I would argue that LSU, Alabama, Kentucky, Ole Miss was a pretty brutal stretch for Florida. And they went two and two in that stretch because um, I still think – I know that they aren't playing like it right now, but I still think Kermit Davis and that Ole Miss team, you want to talk about talent, like they'll figure something out up there. Uh, but, but yeah, I, you know, I, I, Eric's right. Uh, you know, right now I think underachieving even with, with the absences they have. Um, let's see. Nick Rolando at, in Rolando to – STL, another longtime listener. If this team is under 500 and misses the NCAA tournament, is Mike White still the coach next year? Whew. Uh, uh, um, I mean, I guess I'm not going to punt that one on Scott Strickland. I think you could make a case that he's not. Uh, we talked a lot, of, a lot about that question on a couple podcasts ago. I don't think we ever got into like the record scenario. But I certainly think a losing season uh, might change the overall evaluation a little more than, you know, a team that lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, I I would say that I'm more concerned with, I, I guess the 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 way Florida plays versus the the raw numbers. Like, hey, if they if they run into. Um, let's say South Carolina and South Carolina just goes crazy from three and, and ends up beating Florida by one or two and, or, or Georgia just has the game of their lives. Florida plays pretty good. Georgia, you know, steals a win. Uh, I, I don't think that necessarily like inherently, like let's say Florida's, you know, eight and 10 is, is that like, Oh, automatic firing? Like, no, I, I don't, I don't personally think so. It's, it's, it's just the way, the way that it happens. And, and again, if, if it's like, Florida just continues to to lack identity and the, the team seems to be disconnected and, and not looking great, then, you know, having a losing season definitely maybe like you said, Neil, it accelerates those conversations. I, I, I would say like as, as my general rule, I guess, I, I just don't see, I, I never have like a, a, an arbitrary cutoff to me of like, Oh, it's gotta be a winning season or it's gotta be a 500 season. Uh, or if it's, if it's, Losing, it's unacceptable. I could see, like right now, uh, Ken Palm has the Gators going ten and eight in the SEC. Florida could do that and still not look very good, and I could still be very unhappy. I could also see Florida going eight and ten, and me being somewhat encouraged, which I know some people will not agree with that. But but sure. yeah, just the the context matters so much to me, so I can't say for sure that that being under five hundred would do it. Fair answer. 
Uh, next question is, what are your guys' midterm grades? For the players and the staff, letter grades will do. That's from Justin Fortner. Uh, uh, oh, to do, to do all the player grades, who would be your – I don't think we have to grade every player. Yeah, I don't know if we have to grade any player. Um, who would, who would be your there? MVP right now? Who would be your MVP right now? Castleton. Yeah, I'd have to say Castleton as well. Uh, okay, so how about this for, for Justin's sake? Including coaches, including coaches, is there anyone other than Castleton and I'll give you Trey Man. So it's like Castleton, Trey Man, and Field. <laughs> Anybody other than Castleton and Man, you're giving an A, A minus, or a B plus to. Um, uh, I would honestly give a B plus to Tyree Appleby, who I think is overplaying the role that most people had in mind for him. Um, yeah, I, I would, I would say, yeah, Ty, Tyree Appleby as a, you know, I know he's starting now, but call him a, a super sub or a six man. I, I would give him a B plus. Right, I think that's fair. And I'm going to give Scotty Lewis an I because he's missed these last two games. <laughs> so it's an incomplete. So I can't give him a B, which is probably about where I'd have him anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I think, I think you've got to go Castleton, May and Appleby have been like the three guys. And then you've kind of hoped for stuff from other players so far. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, that, that'd be where I'd be at. And, and, you know, if I had to give a letter grade to the coaching staff, which I think is probably what most people want. Yeah. And I would give, uh, I, I would give, uh, I, 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 I see I, I'm a minus is on my lips, but yeah. I was going C minus. Yeah. Okay. I was going C minus. Like you know, I feel like they're six and three. Like I said, I don't. The Florida State game is not a thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, they just didn't show up at Alabama, which is weird considering they were coming off such a big win. And let me tell you why that bothered me, Eric more than the result against what I think I called them an excellent team. People argued with me, you know, for once I appear to have been correct, but uh, that bothered me because one of the underlying program problems I've seen the last couple of years is just consistency. Like how do you handle success? Like Florida's had so much trouble with that. And we've, we have run the gamut on this podcast of exploring what possible explanations could be for that. Oh, they're young. Oh, they're not that consistent offensively. So they have these tough nights. Oh, well, they miss Kavarius Hayes and, you know, Kerry Blackshear's limited in defense. And we're not sure about pick and roll defense scheme. And they just ran into Missouri who hit 35 three pointers, right? Like, uh, you know, at some point that has to stop. And that's what bothered me about a no-show at Alabama. <laughs> yeah, totally understandable. And uh, I would say it also kick-started like probably a little bit of a uh, similar scene against Kentucky in the next game. So uh, I can certainly understand. And I would also say uh, when you when you saw such a sharp left turn from like the style of play they had against LSU 
to just, I, I, I would say, go away totally from what they're doing at LSU. Uh, that, yeah, those are those are the things that are definitely concerning. But um, it, it's actually interesting. I mean, the technically the second best team they've they've played so far this year would be LSU, and they were able to get a win. That's definitely uh, definitely big credit, um, especially given the the circumstances of 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 coming off the uh, coming off the break. Yes, they played Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt. So yeah, LSU big. Uh, big props but uh yeah when you're just not able to 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 continue off that it's uh it hurts wjs steadwell 15 says obviously losing keontae was huge scotty lewis missing last night was big is it reasonable to expect more from this team and coaching staff feels like they should and could be playing much better i think we've answered that and, and yes it is reasonable in my opinion uh and in eric's jake gungrich asked uh, who are some potential head coach options when the inevitable happens? Any chance we could lure Beard away from Texas Tech? I'm only going to answer the second part of this question, Jake, because they haven't made a change, and it's just not a conversation I feel terribly comfortable about having on a podcast yet. Um, but, no, I don't think they can lure Chris Beard away from Texas Tech. Eric, any thoughts on that? Uh, no, I, I see Chris <sighs> Beard, and I, I don't know. Like, I guess everyone is kind of wired different, but when you're uh... – you're winning at a high level at one particular spot and making great money. Uh, it's kind of like, is, is the grass really greener or is Chris Beard going, and this is not even like a, I know this is a Florida podcast. We should be talking Florida, but, but anyone who thinks that they can lure Texas or lure Chris Beard from Texas tech, do they think they're, does, does he look at any other program and say, Hey, I'm going to win more than, the a lot that I'm winning currently. Um, am I going to get paid a lot more than I'm getting paid currently? Uh, it's it's probably not. So so maybe he would look to to make a change. But I, I don't know. I just see someone who makes great money and is winning where he's at. Seems very happy where he's at. And I just think that's not a guy that's looking to looking to move. So yeah, I'd say say likely not if it if it came to that. Uh, we've got uh, in all kinds of weather, Neil. Exactly how badly do things need to come off the rails this season for White to be fired at the end of it? <sighs> well, I, sorry, I'll jump in. I know you just exhaled, but but like I said, there's there's not a hard and fast number for me that like Florida would need to lose this many games, or or I guess that would be that would be it. Uh, they have to lose this many games or or miss this tournament or or whatever uh to me it, it really does matter the the way in, in in which it happens the the context to me to me matters um but uh but yeah i'll, I'll say this right now i mean you know ken palm has the gators going to 10 and 8 there's still some preseason prediction baked into that metric that would suggest that the gators are better than than what ken palm even has them so you probably think that if it was just using this year's data, Ken Palm would probably have the Gators closer to like nine and nine. Uh, that could, uh, yeah, that could, uh, that could turn out. If you're projected to go nine and nine, uh, man, things can uh, swing quickly, especially when like, for example, they would have, uh, they would have the Gators beating like Missouri in the last game of the season. Uh, Missouri's not as good as uh, it looks like they, you know, they're 13th ranking overall, but they're, they're pretty good. They've got Florida beating um, Auburn. Whereas, you know, Auburn had some a tough start to the season before they had Sharif Cooper. They're, they're a different team. So uh, you, you could see, you, you could see hypothetically how the wheels could fall off. I, I will, yep. I will say that though. I don't, there, there's no number to me that is inherently, it, it would have to go to this for what happened. I, the, the context to me would matter. Yeah. I mean, I think that the whole thing, I don't think they're going to fire coach white over this season in particular, if they make a change, it, it's not going to be about this season because 
I really do think that the Keontae thing is a factor in what happens this season. I think it's going to be about overall trend and feeling about the culture and the basketball program. Um, and, you know, so I, I agree with Eric's point that, you know, the way that the season plays out uh, seems to matter. Right now, Florida's competing really hard. And they, other than the Alabama game, I think they've played hard every game. Uh, and, you know, so that's a sign that at least so far, nobody's mailed anything in and, and we'll see which version of them shows up Tuesday. Um, let's see. Rolling right on through here. Dr. Elliot, PhD at Elliot Gator. Let Keontae coach and fire Mike White. Three and three in the SEC. We have not gotten to the hard part of the schedule. We'll be 15 and 16 this year. Hardly good for UF. Well, we won't be 15 and 16 because they don't play 31 games. I think they have gotten to the hard part of the schedule. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't think they're going to let Keontae coach, but I understand. We're reading these things because it's important to read people being frustrated. That's that's part of where the program is at right now, so we're going to read it. Ticket time machine. Do you think fans are wrong saying White needs to be fired? Uh, I I think that, that there is a, I, I don't think it's unfair. No, I, I think that anyone who says that it's like a 1000% he should have been fired yesterday or the end of last season or something like that. I, I, I would disagree with that. I, I don't think that's, that's quite fair. Um, again, I just, I don't think things have gotten as bad as some people would, would think it, it has. Um, so I, so I would disagree with anyone who has that standpoint, but for someone to say, uh, no, I do think that Florida should move on. I think that there's a better option for the university of Florida. I think that's a justifiable, uh, justifiable stance to have. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, Justin Fortner asked BJ Boston was recruit. Mike White was in on for a while. Uh, by all accounts was a top five or top 10 recruit. Why is he struggling so bad this year? Yeah. I mean, Boston's last two visits were Florida and Kentucky. And I think had he not gone to Kentucky, he would have gone to, to Florida. Eric, any thoughts on Brandon Boston's struggles? Um, I think when you're, when your game is all about shot making, your margin for error is, is very slim. We saw this with Trey Mann. Trey Mann came into college. His best skill was his shot making. Uh, suddenly when those shots don't fall, uh, man, it gets, uh, gets real quick. So we saw Trey Mann have a frustrating freshman season, uh, because he plays a, a difficult shot making style of basketball. Uh, Brandon Boston plays the same way. Uh, his shots aren't falling and suddenly, suddenly, yeah. When, when you when your whole game is around making difficult pull-up shots, uh, yeah, th things can, things can go rough pretty quick. And we saw Trey Mann figure out other ways to score. He found ways to be consistent and suddenly he looks awesome. Uh, that'll be Brandon Boston, who I think is a very, very good player who just, uh, Definitely is not one and done material that I probably thought he would be before the season, but I, I think he's a very talented scorer who will figure things out. Yeah, no, I agree. That's a that's a fair take. That Kentucky program has a lot of stuff going on <laughs> right now. Um, I think we could do a whole pod about all that. They blew Florida's doors off, but but uh, I think Florida also that might have been like like last year's Missouri game, where like Missouri played their best game of the season. Florida might have just caught Kentucky on that night. Um, because, man, there's just a lot of things going on there. One of John Calipari's worst coaching jobs. I'll leave it at that. Um, at McFly22, why is Mike White still the head basketball coach? 
uh, why? I guess uh, I guess it's because I I don't think it's it's as bad as as some people think, and um, I think that uh, you get some rope when you run a really good clean program. I think every athletic director likes to sleep well at night, knowing that uh, knowing that you're probably not facing any sanctions. And uh, yeah, I think he's at least comfortable enough to uh, to keep rolling with with White for now, and that's why he's still the head coach. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. No losing seasons, NCAA tournament. All but one of the years that they've had it would have gone last year. Uh, more SEC wins than any coach other than John Calipari uh, during his tenure. Still ahead of Rick Barnes in that category, people. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, so Barnes can tie him Tuesday night. Uh, so, you know, there there are a number of reasons. And, you know, baseball's not on probation. Basketball's not on probation. Football's on probation. So, and football lost their last three games. So Dan Mullen is still the coach. Uh, Mike White has a lot of rope because, like Dan Mullen, he has won a lot of games. Um, but you I know think what? You have, to, you have to look at direction of program as well. <laughs> give me a give me Mike White's candidness and honesty over Dan Mullen's uh, excuse making any day of the week. By the way. Oh, for sure. I mean, my, my, these, my rare football take. Um, as, well, uh, I mean, it's <laughs> some of these press conferences with with uh, I will miss that if if a change is made. I will miss Ooh. the candidates because the chance that Florida gets another coach that says candidate is white is is very minimal. <laughs> um, you know, and and some of these Bowen press conferences or something else. I'll tell you what. Uh but, you know, some people like the last game the 2020 team played was 11 days ago when you get beat by five touchdowns. I don't know. Maybe that's <laughs> – uh, Jared UF asks, what is the direction of the program next year and beyond? Next year we lose Mann, Lewis, Castleton. Only player that's SEC caliber on the roster is DeRuji, uh, Appleby, Locke, Sampson, Reeves, and maybe Payne. Well, that's a lot of players. If transfers don't get immediate eligibility, the next year's team looks bad. Well, first of all, I think the one-year transfer is going to be approved. Pretty much everybody thinks that's going to be approved. Um, but I think the whole uh, couple of the last podcasts have been about the direction of the program next year and beyond, and it's fair to ask questions about that. I don't know if Florida loses Trey Mann. I really don't. Um, I don't know if they lose Scotty Lewis. I really don't. Uh, they do not lose Callan Castleton. Um, so – that gives sort of Castleton, DeRuji, Appleby, Locke, Sampson, Reeves, and Payne if he doesn't transfer. That's a pretty good nucleus. Uh, yeah, I would I would disagree. I, I do think the Trey Man is gone for sure. Okay. Um, Lewis, I don't I don't know, man. That's that. I don't that'll, think that'll I don't be a tough one. That'll be that'll be some options in podcast. God, I bet um, he's back. but. But no, I, I I do think that uh, I do think it's say hey, if you if you run back, you know, fifth year Tyree Appleby, uh, fifth year uh, Anthony Jeruji, um, fourth year Colin Castleton, uh, you can definitely see the uh, the framework. But at the same time, you know, I saw some people um, using those kind of like bringing those back and and looking at their years of eligibility to say like, oh, you know, like. Florida's in great shape, but I mean, the thing is everyone Florida plays is also going to be in the same place. Like, you know, Florida's not the only team where guys don't lose a year of eligibility. Um, everyone else is going to get older too. So, so we'll see how that goes, but, um, uh, it'll be interesting to see, um, if, if I'll say if some players want to want to move on and transfer out, um, 
yeah, I guess we'll say we'll say if for now. Uh, might not yeah. be my belief, but uh, um, uh, uh, but you know, you know Florida is going to be aggressive in the transfer on the transfer market. Um, even if they there's not the one one time transfer rule, there's going to be plenty of grad transfers available. Um, and I think uh, Kwesi Reeves Jr. is uh, fantastic and can, can contribute right away. So uh, yeah, I mean, well, that just seems so far in the future. I look forward to talking about it in the off season, but pretty dialed into this team right now, to be honest. Yeah, I, I'm pretty dialed into this team as well. And I do think, like I said, I think there's a pretty solid nucleus. I guess our only real disagreement is on Trey Mann. And I'm a little more optimistic about a, a junior year of Scotty Lewis. Like, there's just a sense in me, maybe that'll be it, but like, just because of his age. Uh, but, you know, I don't know, man. Like, Pat Young wasn't supposed to be in Florida very long and ended up becoming like an institution on campus. Basis his like academic leadership and just who he was as a human being and ended up being a, a two time All SEC basketball player and there's a little part of me that kind of feels Scotty Lewis starting to trend that direction and I'm fine with it. Uh, Let's, what one very quick thing which I should oh, this is not going to be quick. I'm going to say it and it deserves more conversation, but we shouldn't have it now. If uh, if players are able to profit from their name and likeness. Scotty Lewis can make a hell of a lot more money staying at Florida than he might going and playing in the G League. Like he is such a popular guy who Florida fans are going to get get behind that uh, yeah. he's someone who uh yeah you know we don't know exactly when players are going to be allowed to uh to make money off their 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 image and likeness. Uh it could be uh could be quicker than we think and if that's the case, Scotty Lewis is a perfect example of of a guy who uh could stick around to college and uh, and and fans there and and the opportunities they'll have with endorsements and, and things like that will be so much greater than if he's playing for Rio Grande Valley in the G League. So that'll that'll that could that could also start that'll that will start playing into our conversation at some point. Maybe not for Scotty Lewis next year, um, but but soon. Yeah, I think it's a good point. And remember, Florida has the laws in place, uh, so you know it could happen faster in Florida than other places, which is one of the reasons that the Florida legislature acted as quickly as it did on that question. We're going to close with a bunch of questions from our man at coach. Uh, and uh, coach, you know, he, I think coach's questions, I wanted to save them for last because they kind of sum up the whole of, of Gator Nation right now, I think. Like he's just got all sorts of questions and they're all full of angst and he's a really smart basketball guy who who sends us messages and and knows his stuff. Um, but but here we go. Uh, we'll start with his first one. There's not a single win on Florida's schedule for sure right now. Florida plays in the SEC where they might only get three bids. Oh, how UF hoops has fallen. No win in sight. That's depressing. Any chance Keontae plays this year? No, no chance that Keontae plays this year, in my opinion. Uh, and, and I think that's pretty much rooted in medicine. Uh, just... <laughs> <laughs> myocarditis if that's what was in fact the matter you got to sit for six months if you're an athlete so he's he's done now should we go to the next one yes yes you talk you talk about getting old and staying old the gator players don't develop or get better they regress transfer and then put up great numbers somewhere else are these bad evaluations by the staff who is florida recruiting florida has reeves and that's it all right, a lot to unpack in there. I don't think that all Florida players regress. I think Trey Mann is a great case in point of a player who's improved. Uh, I think Keontae Johnson going from 
a guy who couldn't find the floor for his first two months on campus to the preseason SEC player of the year in two years. And a guy that was putting up a double double in the NCAA tournament as a freshman. Bruce uh, players grow under this staff. I think the question is consistency and different positions seem to develop better than others in my view, Eric. Uh, And that's a problem. Uh, I do think that there have been bad evaluations. You don't have to flip your whole roster if there aren't those. Uh, And then as for Florida recruiting, Eric wrote a column about the one-time transfer rule. And I think Florida is sitting on that a little bit uh, in terms of their evaluations with a five-star and Reeves already on board. They also have a scholarship problem, at least for now. Yeah. So we figure out how exactly that goes. Um, but no, I, I do think that Florida wants to uh, keep their keep their options open for the one-time transfer rule. And I think it's a smart thing to do. I think that's just the future of, of college basketball. Um, and uh, I know some people are not going to like it, but uh, it's, it's what's coming. And it's going to be how good high major teams recruit. So it's uh, Florida's on the right side of it, I think. And uh, good for them. Uh, I do think that Florida has missed on plenty of the talent evaluations. Like, like I see DeAndre Ballard going to South Alabama, and I see um, Mike Locaru going to uh, where did he go? UNCG Will, Will, Wilmington. I, I forget. No, that's could be very wrong. Gray, but um, Greensboro or Wilmington, one of the yeah, two. well, one of the two. And then you know uh, Eric Hester, um, Prairie A and M. Um, you know, I, I, I see those and I don't see as much of like regression as like, I, I just truly think that's the caliber of players those guys were. So, so I, I, I personally see those as missed evaluations more than missed development. Yeah. It wasn't Greensboro. Cause I just did a quick, uh, <laughs> yeah, roster a- check. Yeah. I think it's Wilmington. There yeah, he is. Wilmington, Wilmington, where he's where he has played as, as a solid player, no question. But uh, I just think, yeah, he found his level at uh, UNC Wilmington in the Colonial, which is one of the you know it's not a not historically a great basketball conference. So so I so again I I, I do look at those and be like oh like I look at I look at DeAndre Ballard and I just think like man he's just not a high major basketball player and I think Florida missed thinking he was. I don't think oh that's a high major basketball that player that Florida didn't get enough out of. Yeah, right. And I think that, again, that's why they flipped the roster is I think they kind of acknowledged that they had made some mistakes in terms of evaluations, Eric. And and uh, now it's it's about coaching production out of the roster that they have, which we've mentioned. I don't know if they're doing such a great job of that this season because this team is talent-wise better than they're playing. Uh Coach's next one. I told you he had a lot. Are we recruiting any other high school kids? We will have four to five spots open. Are we just going to recruit transfers and hope the NCAA allows players to play? What if they don't? That would be a bad recruiting gaffe by the staff. Well, I think that they're going to allow players to play, uh, but let's operate under your worst-case scenario hypothetical. Obviously, then they would uh, have to apply for a host of waivers which they would likely still get because there's still a pandemic and the NCAA is not denying waivers for kids that transfer in the middle of the pandemic to get closer to home. So they just have to find and target guys that are closer to home. Is Florida recruiting other high school kids? I know that they're uh, in discussions with a lot of 2022 kids. Uh, I don't know if any of those kids are planning to reclassify. Again, I couldn't necessarily speak to any of the 2021 prospects other than Lynn Greer who I know that they are still recruiting. 
I know. I, I, I'm I, to be honest, I'm all in on Florida's strategy of we're not going to recruit as many high school kids and we're going to go to the transfer market. Um, and again, I know a lot of people are not going to like that who like the more traditional you get a kid out of high school and you develop them. Um, you know, that that is great. There's something that's definitely like romantic about that, like classic college basketball, um, the way it's always been done. Um, I respect that. But yeah, I just I just don't think it's the future of college basketball. Um, and, and the thing, too, the fact of the matter is um, freshmen almost always contribute less than you think. So therefore, if if Florida were thinking that they were going to have transfers that were going to be available right away and for whatever reason they weren't and and uh, they end up having to sit. And some people are like, oh, well, you should have filled that spot with high school kids. Well, those high school kids are probably not going to contribute that much anyways. That's that's just the fact of the matter, especially 20, 21 kids that you would be getting, you know, now or in the offseason. So, yeah, so I, I, I cannot see a situation where this is a, a gaffe from the staff, to be honest. I, I, I'm I'm actually quite in alignment with their with their recruiting strategy. Yeah, I think it's pretty smart. And again, I think one time transfer is almost it's as close to a lock as as there can be with the NCAA. And it's been reported as such by pretty much everybody. So, you know, I don't think that that's going to change, um, especially because the pandemic continues to go on. And I, I think that also will play a role in just proving what, what common sense it is. Uh, Coach has two more. So we're going <laughs> to, we're going to grind like Florida and, and try to finish these. And I'll post a 20 minute Tennessee preview uh tomorrow but uh, so coach asks why hasn't omar uh pain jatobo and Locke developed skill wise is that coaching why does you have players that don't look like sec players in terms of strength the gators get pushed around a lot they look like the strength program has taken a nosedive as well can't blame covid all programs are dealing with it okay well uh, like I told you, I, coach is awesome. These are just so – a lot of this is so negative. Not all programs are dealing with their best player collapsing on the court. Uh, they're just not. There's only one program dealing with that. Uh, Florida's strength coach is really good. Uh, and plenty of Florida players look have looked better for the two decades that he's been doing this job including current players like Noah Locke, Keontae Johnson, uh, and Trey Mann that all look stronger and leaner. I do think Locke has developed skill-wise. Uh, I just think that he was limited talent-wise in terms of some of the things that he can do. Like, he was never going to be a guy that blew by you. Um, you know, and teens are challenging him to do that, which is smart schematically, and he's not able to do it. Uh, Omar Payne and Jatobo, I think Jatobo is his conditioning uh, related. I do think a lot of that has to do with COVID. I, I agree that every other program is dealing with situations like that. Omar Payne, uh, thoughts on that, Eric? Thoughts on Preston Green, maybe? I oof, This is late in the podcast to bring this heat, but I, I will say I know Preston Green. Um, people hold him in very, very, very high regard. Um, he's known as one of the best in the country, like you said. I do know of two um, two scouts in the NBA and one very prominent uh, prominent NBA uh, draft writer who are not a big fan of 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 what he does. Um, and 
generally are not a big fan of, of some of the programs in the sec uh and and told me by name that uh that yeah they they, they don't think that Preston green is as good as uh you know his reputation which is which i didn't know exactly how to take because i mean there's some people that say he's the best strength and conditioning coach in the country and i right, will be very are. honest and i will be very honest with everyone listening i don't have i i, I have no idea how to quantify that that is so out of my range of yeah. uh of knowledge, I, I don't know what to say. I will say that he maybe does have some some critics, um, but uh, on the whole, people think Preston Green is, is awesome. There's there's no question. Um, I, Omar Payne, I definitely expected more. I mean, I thought he was gonna make a big leap, and and I thought he was gonna be the starter when it became very quick that uh, very quick to note that Colin Castan was better. Uh, the one thing with with Omar Payne, I'll say is like, man, he is he's not big. He's undersized as a center. I, I think he's like six, eight. I know he's got a really long wingspan, but man, like you see him out there with some of these sec bigs, he's not a big dude. He's very explosive, uh, vertically. He does not move laterally particularly well. So I, I think that some of that is like, again, how much of that is skill? Like, Hey, some of it, you can work on that. Some of that's his, uh, his, his physical gifts, just like Neil said about, about Noah Locke. So, uh, I think some of that might be, hey, we are just a little bit maybe too high on on Omar Payne for a bit, and we're we're seeing that he does have some some limitations. But yeah, it'll be up uh, up next uh, to him to to uh, to kind of define what uh, what his next development is. Yeah, I mean, like Noah, I think is a better ball handler because uh, I realized that I said he, I think he's developed, but I didn't say how. I do think he's a better ball handler than when he got to Florida. I think he has great positional sense as a defender, which he didn't always have. As a freshman, again, I think physical skills get him. I, I keep thinking of the Mississippi State game. Uh, was it Mississippi State? Uh, like, what was it, two years ago? Where, where I don't know, it was it either last year or two years ago where um, one of the Weatherspoons just blew by him at the end of the game? Mm-hmm. And, like, that was multiple errors. It was physical gifts, plus he wasn't in position. Like, I don't think he makes those types of errors defensively anymore, Eric. I just think – there are physical limitations to what he can do defensively, um, you know. But but I think he's certainly developed. Coach's last question is another development question. It's why does Andrew Nimhard look like an NBA guard, playing much faster now than when he left UF? Wasn't he the scapegoat? I thought playing fast was in Mike White's DNA. <laughs> why does he slow it down when they had success playing fast? That's a lot of questions in one. Let me just do Nimhard for half a second, and I'm punting this to Eric. Uh, Nimhard was an All SEC player last year, so I'm not sure that he necessarily like didn't look like an NBA guard last season. <laughs> but continue, Eric. Yeah, still, still not an NBA guard in my opinion, but he's played awesome. Right. No question. I love Andrew right. Nemhart. Um, I, I, I will, I will maintain that playing slow was not an Andrew Nemhart thing. I will, I will debate that to uh, well. No, I'm actually pretty tired of debating it. So, I mean, I, I'm not going to debate it to, to the end. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, he played really fast at, uh, played really fast at Montverde, played really fast playing with Team Canada for two summers, played really fast for Gonzaga. The one team he didn't play fast with was, was Florida. Um, so, do you think that that's Andrew Nemhart? Some people do. Um, I don't. I would suggest that it was, uh, it was the scheme. And, and I would suggest it was mostly the guys he was running with. I, I, playing fast and playing transition is not having a point guard going, run the ball 94 feet by himself. That's also not even what Nemhart's doing at Gonzaga. The reason that he's so good at pushing the ball um, at Gonzaga is because they have a very well-orchestrated transition attack, and he has players who are capable of um, running, sprinting, catching the ball, taking one bounce, and finishing. Those guys 
were not at Florida and I would say maybe are not still not at Florida. And that's why they're, they're showing some limitations. So um, I'm probably, you know, I've, I've just debated the Nemhard thing so many times and some people are still going to adamantly disagree with me, but um, I do not think it was his fault whatsoever that Florida um, played, played at the pace they did. Uh, I agree with that. And I'm also going to tweet, which will end up on Twitter before the show is up. But here I will be tweeting an early shot clock horns action by Gonzaga. And um, something that Andrew Nimhard's really good at. Go figure. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, uh, their offense is fun to watch, man. And uh, Nimhard's just another you know great player on a great team. Yeah, I, I don't know if he's their third. He might be their third best guard. <laughs> I mean, what do you want, right? Like, it's insane. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like he was an all-SEC player last year. So I, I said an NBA guard. He, My point was he was really good last year. Like, you know, so I'm not sure that it's like a, oh, he's he's suddenly gone to Gonzaga and has developed. Like, I don't know if, if there's really any developing going on. He's in a better offensive system, to be honest. And so <laughs> um, he's... He, yeah. He's shooting he's shooting 30.8% from 3. He shot 30.8% um from 3 last year, which I just thought was hilarious. Um yeah, he developed rate, into a... <laughs> You know like his his assist rate is down, but it's because he has the ball less. His turnover rate is down because he has the ball less. Um yeah, I, I mean you you actually look at a lot of Andrew Nemhard's advanced numbers. Uh they look very similar. I, I think he's a very similar player this year to what he was uh last year and um just just fits what Gonzaga wants to do a little bit better than than how how he fit at Florida. Yeah, no. Um so you're about to see uh, well, at least Eric is he's about to see early shot clock horns action on his Twitter feed. Um, and yeah, so that's that's going to be our show. We went 90 minutes, but we answered every single listener question. Uh, one oh. of the longest shows ever. I'm exhausted. Well, I don't even... <laughs> got to just jump in here. One more, th- one more time. Shout out to uh, the Rowdy Reptiles first for bringing the uh, bringing the energy, even though there's a lot fewer of them. Uh, but also shout out to them because they hooked me up. I will be a virtual fan um, for the game on Tuesday against Tennessee. So I have no idea what that's actually going to look like. Uh, but if for any reason you can see virtual fans if you're at the game or whether it's on the broadcast, uh, one of them is going to be me. So uh, yeah, shout out to the Rowdy Reptiles for for hooking me up. That's beautiful. I love it. And I will be uh, I will be in the building, section 121. Anybody want to come and say hi from six feet away, give me a shout. So, uh, yeah, good show. I will drop a preview of the balls uh, tomorrow. Short version, they're good. Yeah, that's that's what I'll, I'll have my preview up at, at uh, Gator Country tomorrow. So between that and, and uh, Neil holding it down, uh, you should be ready for uh, what will be a tough game. All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks uh, for listening.